Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Scotia, New York. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Seventeen-year-old Craig Freer was one of those kids that knew everyone. He was popular, but not just with the popular kids. While a lot of his friends stuck with the athletic crowd, Craig seemed to have friends in all different circles. He lived in the small town of Scotia in upstate New York, which is a little under two square miles with a population of just over 7,500 people. It's a place where everyone knows everyone, and you grow up with the same group of people from kindergarten to high school. Growing up, soccer was Craig's life. He played recreation, he played travel, he played for his high school. Actually, in his junior year, he was co-captain of the varsity soccer team and had plans to be the captain in his upcoming senior year. The plan was to hopefully get a scholarship, which was definitely in the cards for him, and then head off to college and, according to the Charlie Project, become an elementary school teacher of all wholesome things, but Craig would disappear before either of those things happened. June of 2004 was your typical start of the summer for every teen in Scotia. There were social events, long nights of hanging out with friends, and part-time jobs. And it was no different for Craig. He worked at a local grocery store, The Price Chopper, which employed a lot of teens in the area. He only worked part-time, but according to an interview his mom did with the Unfound podcast, he managed to work his way up in the ranks all the way up to the loading docks in the back. When he wasn't busy working or playing soccer, you could always find him with a friend or a girlfriend. Craig had absolutely no problems in the girlfriend department and seemed to date more than one at a time, never getting too serious. On the night of June 26, 2004, the Times Union, who have done a really amazing job at keeping up with Craig's case, reported that he spent the night with one of his best friends. They did the usual, which means they stayed up until 6 a.m. playing video games, watching movies, and of course, talking about girls. Craig had recently gone through a breakup and was a little upset about it, but from what I can tell, it wasn't anything monumental. Like I mentioned earlier, he dated pretty often, but maybe there was something particularly special about the way he felt about this one because he did seem pretty bummed about it. The following morning, Craig was scheduled to work at the Price Chopper, so he headed home to get his uniform. By uniform, I mean shirt, and according to WNYT, he didn't change into it, he just grabbed it, tossed it into his car, and headed out. After leaving the house, the rest of his family had a full day ahead of them. Based on combined reports from the Unfound podcast and the Times Union, his sister had a soccer tournament, and after, the family planned on having a barbecue. It looks like his mom might have left the soccer tournament early to try and get everything ready for the barbecue and, of course, stop by the price chopper to get some last-minute items. She assumed she would see Craig while she was there, but she didn't. Confused, she started calling around to Craig's friends to see if they knew where he was. I mean, it was 2004, but Craig didn't have a cell phone. Some of his friends did, and the ones who didn't did have house phones. Eventually, she was able to track him down. I've seen a couple of different reports as to where Craig's mom finally tracked him down to. 
Some say he was at a friend's house, while others say he was at a Subway restaurant where another friend worked. But either way, she was able to get a hold of Craig and let him know that she knew he wasn't at work. He told her that he was running late or something to that effect and that he'd be heading there ASAP. The two of them got off the phone, but his mom felt like something was off. Craig had worked there for years, and it just didn't seem like something he would do. It's hard to pinpoint, but his mom's instincts were telling her that something was off. She told the Unfound podcast that she called his father to let him know that Craig wasn't at work and that she wanted him to run by the price chopper again just to make sure Craig showed up like he said he would. Once his sister's soccer tournament was over, that's exactly what he did. He headed into the price chopper just like his wife had, assuming to spot Craig, but he didn't. Instead of calling around to try and find Craig and ask him what the deal was, he straight up asked the store. Come to find out, Craig hadn't showed up for work in a couple of months, which means that he'd been lying to his family for just as long. If he wasn't going to work, where was he going and why was he lying about it? At that point, Craig's parents needed to have a conversation with him, so they started calling around again. But he wasn't with his friend anymore. His mom called around some more and decided to call his ex-girlfriend's apartment. There's some wonky reporting about whether it's his ex-girlfriend or his current girlfriend, but most of them say ex-girlfriend. So she calls the ex-girlfriend's apartment and she answers the phone, but she tells Craig's mom that he isn't there. Once again, his mom's spidey senses are going off, so she calls the ex-girlfriend back again and according to the Unfound podcast, essentially told her, look, I've got a pretty good feeling that Craig is there, so if you could put him on the phone, that would be great. So she did, in fact, put Craig on the phone. His mom confronted him about the fact that he wasn't actually working like he was pretending to, coming home and getting his shirt and all of that, and he told her that he'd explain everything when he got home. Naturally, she told him to get home, and he told her that he'd be there in a few minutes. And frankly, a few minutes is all he had before he was going to come face to face with at least one of his parents. While he was on the phone with his mom, his dad was heading over to the ex-girlfriend's apartment complex to try and find him. His dad didn't know which apartment was hers, but he did wind up finding Craig's car parked in the complex. He didn't know it at the time, but the Times Union report said Craig hadn't parked in front of her particular unit. He parked in one around the corner, and no one knows exactly why, but Craig's father was standing by the car so that when he did come out, he'd have some explaining to do. But Craig never came out to his car. His dad waited, but Craig never showed up. Assuming Craig was just avoiding this inevitable confrontation, his parents gave him a few hours to process everything, but by later that evening, as the barbecue ended and Craig still hadn't come home, they started to get worried. Craig's car was still in the parking lot of his ex-girlfriend's place, but Craig wasn't there. No one had seen him or heard from him, and no one knew where he was. With that, his family set out to find him. They drove all over their tiny little town and even walked up and down a railroad track that led from the back of the apartment complex to essentially Craig's own backyard. To drive to the complex, you'd have to drive around and through the village, but there was a straight shot behind the apartments, that railroad track, which had plenty of cleared walking area on both sides that could be used to quickly walk between the two. But there was no sign of Craig anywhere, and he didn't have a phone, so they couldn't just call and ask where he was. As the hours passed, Craig's parents got more and more concerned. 
According to the Charlie Project, he had run away once in his early teens, but it was only for a night and it wasn't some big ordeal. Craig wasn't an angsty teen and he didn't seem to have much to run from other than an uncomfortable conversation about not going to work. His mom told the Unfound podcast that she wound up running into a local police officer while she was searching for him and stopped to let him know what was going on. The reporting here is a little hazy, with some reports saying he was reported missing in the early morning hours of the following morning, and others saying that his parents gave him a couple of days to essentially cool off. His mom told the Unfound podcast that the local departments had a hard time agreeing on who would take the missing persons report, the last place he was seen versus where he lived. And for the record, it's always the department where the incident occurred, which would be the last place Craig was seen at his girlfriend's apartment complex. Or so they thought. As it turns out, some younger kids reported seeing him behind the complex at around 2 p.m. the day he went missing, walking along those railroad tracks. There were some news articles stating that when the kids saw him, Craig held his finger to his mouth as to say shush, which caused all kinds of confusion. Everyone wondered what the shush meant. Was he hiding from someone? Did he not want anyone to know he was out there? Obviously, if he was hiding from his father who was standing by his car, he wouldn't want the kids to blow his cover, but he was walking in the direction of his house. If he was going home, he would have been there in about 10 to 15 minutes anyway, so why would he care if any Anyone knew he was on his way. He had told his mom that he was on his way. The mystery of the shush, though, might not be such a huge mystery after all. Because according to a local, that part of the story wound up being debunked later on. That it was just misinformation that took flight. With no word from Craig, his car still parked in front of the complex and no wallet with him because he hadn't brought one, the situation got serious fast. A massive volunteer search was done on the railroad tracks and in the surrounding woods, but absolutely nothing was found. There was no sign of him anywhere. Not a single piece of clothing, no sign of an accident, no sign of him possibly hurting himself because that was something that crossed people's minds. There was just nothing. It was like he had vanished. As the searches continued and police ramped up their investigation, the Times Union reports that the Freer started getting these weird hang-up phone calls. By the fourth call, a man finally spoke and asked to speak to Craig's mom. She got on the phone and all the man told her was that his name was Tim and then he hung up. The police were able to trace the phone calls back to a payphone in Clifton Park a short drive away. So they descended on the park, hoping to stake out the phone and catch Mystery Tim in the act, but the phone call stopped. Something that either sounded like a major coincidence or really suspicious. I'd love to tell you that a lot happened in the following year, but it just didn't. No one knew whether or not he'd simply run off, hurt himself, or something terrible had happened to him. In 2005, truckers from 18-Wheel Angels put his missing persons flyers all around the country, hoping that maybe if he had run off, someone might have spotted him. 
between the Flyers and the new $10,000 reward offered by his own family, potential sightings of Craig started to roll in. From possibly seeing him cashing checks in San Diego, a place he loved, to working at a Home Depot in Montana, the Times Union even reported that he was reported to be living in Watertown, as well as somewhere in Maine. Craig's parents traveled all over the country, but neither they nor the police could ever verify any of the sightings. Each one held a couple days of hope, but in the end, all came up empty. In 2006, Craig's case was handed over to the state police and they doubled down on their investigation. More searches were held, but years and years and years passed with no sign of him. By 2009, reports came out stating that investigators had ruled out suicide, but it seems like that's not necessarily true. The lead detective who was on his case until 2015 when she retired told WNYT that they've had victims of suicide go unfound for years. That while people tend to think if someone committed suicide, they'd be found by now, that's not always the case. 2011 marked seven years since Craig disappeared, and while police had tracked down hundreds of leads, given polygraphs, and interviewed countless members of his family along with his friends, classmates, and co-workers, a lead detective told the Times Union that there were people who hadn't cooperated that they'd still like to interview. This is a case that's come with a lot of pretty damning rumors about what might have happened and who might be involved, and that statement certainly fueled that fire. The consensus was, if you have nothing to hide, why aren't you cooperating? But in the same breath, there were those who felt for the people under the town's microscope, saying they were probably just trying to move on since it had been seven years, though that was a luxury Craig's family didn't have. The years had taken a toll on everyone, and his parents eventually split. Though they'd gotten a divorce, the Times Union did an interview with Craig's mom where she showed the outlet that his room hadn't been touched. In the photos, you can see that it's still exactly how he left it, with his Charleston shoes still on his dresser, a dated TV and video game controller, and a motivational sports poster above his bed. She'd bought Christmas presents for him every year and left them in his room so he'd know he hadn't been forgotten about if he came home. The reports on Craig's disappearance were always pretty scarce, but for two years, there wasn't much of anything. It wasn't until April of 2013, nine years after his disappearance, that something big happened. ABC 10 reported that a new search was being conducted, and this time, it was behind the price chopper. The same place he had abruptly stopped working at a couple of months before he went missing. It was nowhere near the apartment complex or the train tracks or even his house. It was such a specific location that it felt like there had to have been a pretty specific incredible lead to have led them there. It also turned a lot of eyes away from their original theories to now thinking that whatever happened to him may have had something to do with his job. The search was conducted, but it doesn't look like anything was found. Another search was done in April of 2014, but again, nothing was found. In November of 2014, the Times Union reports that geologists getting soil and rainwater samples came across a very decomposed body near a stream that ran under Freeman Bridge Road. That stream leads into the Mohawk River that would have been just south of the apartments Craig was last seen at. Almost immediately, everyone wondered if maybe they had found Craig, but they had searched that area before, and with Craig having been missing for 10 years, his remains, as much as I hate to say it, would have likely been skeletonized. 
Craig's parents had to wait for autopsy results to confirm or deny whether or not the remains were Craig's, but in the end, they weren't his. They were the remains of an older gentleman who they believed had been there for about eight months and no foul play was suspected. In the following years, law enforcement held annual searches each fall. They would search once the leaves were down and overgrown areas were easy to get through. It wasn't until June of 2021 when there was an off-season search. They brought canines to an area of brush and woods just south of the apartment complex where the main road meets the Mohawk River. No information was given on what prompted the search, and unfortunately, like all the others, it seems to have come up empty. The last update I could find in Craig's case was when WNYT interviewed a former co-worker of Craig's who said that he'd actually seen him a couple of days after he was reported missing. He told the station that Craig was in the passenger seat of another vehicle and the two made eye contact before the car turned away. He reportedly didn't know Craig was missing at the time because he said he came into work and heard people talking about it and told them that he had just seen him at the stoplight. It's a little unclear when he reported this sighting. I've seen anywhere between immediately and two years later. Craig's case got a new detective in 2015 who has been just as dedicated as the last one. Absolutely nothing has been ruled out, and it's still a mystery as to whether Craig left on his own or something happened to him. Craig was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, blue jeans, Adidas sneakers with three black stripes, and a small gold necklace with a St. Christopher medallion on it. If you have any information about what happened to Craig or where he might be, please contact the New York State Police at 518-630-1700. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Craig's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there on Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. For access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. I'll be bringing you a brand new case on Monday, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 